you would uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, let me say uh, while you're turning that my message this morning is meant to comfort you and to encourage you and to exhort you. It's uh, to strongly urge you to keep looking to Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He begins our faith. He finishes our faith. So we must look to Him and Him alone. But I want to remind you also that this message is for me. I don't consider any of you to need this message, this warning from the Scriptures any more than I do. You know, preachers are in need of Christ, in need of the Gospel as every sinner is. And I don't personally know a true Gospel preacher that does not think themselves to be somewhat a hypocrite. And I don't know a single God-called pastor that perfectly believes the Gospel as they ought to believe it. Even the Gospel we preach. We're imperfect like every sinner. Lord, help us. Help thou our unbelief. And I ask you sincerely to pray for me. Usually at the close of one year and the beginning of another, we often hear or even say things like, where's all the time gone? I'm sure most of you have said that at the beginning of this year, at the end of last. Or how about this one? I can't believe how quickly the year's gone by. They fly by, don't they? Last Sunday, I was with two gospel preachers, pastors, and it just happened to be my birthday. Now, one of these men is a year older than me, and the other a couple years younger than me, and none of us, none of us are spring chickens. One's going to turn 70 his next birthday, the other one's 65, and I'm right dab in the middle at 68. But none of us in talking could get over just how quickly the time had passed. Not only just the past year, but our lives in general. One of the pastors has been married for over 50 years. And me and the other for over 40. And we shook our heads in disbelief as we considered how quickly the anniversaries have passed. Seems like yesterday that Amanda, our youngest daughter, was born and now she has children of her own. And I can't believe that my granddaughter is already 11 years old. Well, it won't be long, she'll be a a teenager and we're praying for you, Derek. (laughs) Where has the time gone? Sincerely. Lord, help us to redeem the time in these days of evil. Time is defined as the continual progress of existence. But soon we'll lead this world and this realm of time that we know and we're going to enter into eternity forever to exist. Life doesn't end with time. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's a judgment coming after this realm of time. There's Our Lord uh, said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's a good question. Do you believe this? And not everyone is going to live in the bliss of heaven. There is a place called hell. And it's not going to be empty. 
Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Or are we asleep? And I'm certain it's the same with you as the years continue to go by. And I mean this sincerely. I, uh, an hour seems like a minute. And, and a, a, an hour, a day seems like an hour. A week goes by as quickly as a day used to. And a month seems like only a week. A year like a month. And a decade soon goes by. And seems like just a year. And then quickly, a half a century's gone by. Fifty years. How many times have you referred to something in the past and you said, you know, I can't believe we did that four or five years ago. And then someone interrupts and says, uh, that was uh, ten years ago. It was 12 years ago. And you go, oh my, it seems like only yesterday. I was uh, speaking with Brother, Brother Paul Mahan last week, who's the same age I am. And he, he said to me, years are like sleep. You go to bed at 18 and you wake up at 68. And that's so true. And I'm sure that Paul's mother, Miss Doris, who's now 99 years old, would tell you the same thing. Doesn't matter if it's 40 or 50 or 68 or 99, the, the years fly by. Many of you are now over 70 and some 80 and older. And where have the years gone? Beginning, being the beginning of a new year with time fresh on our minds, we must stay focused, dear friends, on eternity in spite of the fleeting time that we find ourselves in. And this morning, I want to take a question from and the answer from the Apostle James for us to consider. He asked, what is your life? Have you ever thought about what your life is? Well, the answer James gave is it's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. Little time. And then vanisheth away. Seems like only yesterday that my father died. And that assumed to be 27 years ago. I remember when Brother Winford died shortly after my dad did. That's been 27 years ago. My mother had been gone for 22 years. And I said all that to say this. Time is passing us by. It speeds up as we slow down. And none of us have much time left. Even you younger folks. Uh, to those who profess to trust in Christ, the verses before this for us this morning denote a careful and a diligent use of the valuable and precious time that we have left. So this time is not to be squandered or lost. It can't be recalled or prolonged. Uh, we have a short opportunity of duty and service to our God, to our own souls and to the souls of others. In other words, we don't have time to waste. We've got to be about our Lord's business for this is the service for which until we were called. Now here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believer and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he warns those 
who are spiritually asleep. This is a warning to each of us. Some are spiritually asleep. And the message from God is simple. Verse 14, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now most of the time when this verse is preached upon, it's addressed to the unbeliever, the ungodly who's in darkness and dead and trespasses and sin. But there's no doubt in my mind that the fifth chapter of Ephesians was written to God's church. If you look at the beginning of the, the letter, Ephesians 1.1, it tells us this is written to the church at Corinth, His elect, the saints of God, not to unbelievers, but to believers. Paul's writing to the faithful in Christ Jesus who appear to be asleep. This is the call of God to the church of Ephesus. And friends, this is the call of God to the church at Madisonville. And this is the call of God to churches, His churches everywhere. The child of God often needs to be revived. We need uh, to be awakened and rebuked for our indifferences. And we need to be chastened and corrected for our carelessness. You remember the ten virgins? Five wise and five foolish. Five were grace-filled believers. The other five were just empty professors. But we're told they all slumbered and slept. So I've got to ask you and I've got to ask myself, do you feel a, a coldness, a deadness in your soul? Do you feel as though your Savior is far away? If so, just maybe some of us are asleep. And God in mercy and grace says, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, often in the Scriptures, death is compared to sleep. In the case of Lazarus, you know, the Lord told His disciples, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. But we know that Lazarus was dead. And when the Lord called him to come forth out of the tomb, the Scripture tells us that immediately he that was dead came forth. That was the case with Jairus' daughter. You remember her? Um, when the Lord went to his house. First he was stopped by the woman with the issue of blood. And I just pictured Jairus so many times sitting there just like, oh, we got to get, gotta get, to, get to my house. My daughter's dying. And all these interruptions. And finally when the Lord got to her house, they were crying and mourning because a young girl was dead. And the Lord said, give place. Get out of my way. For the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And this, the Scripture says they laughed him to scorn. Why well, doesn't he know anything? This girl is dead. The Lord said she sleeps. But we know this young maid was dead and the Lord gave her life. However, there are many believers who are not dead. A believer is not dead, but deadly asleep. And the message to them is simple. Awake, thou that sleepest. The people of God may not be spiritually dead in the sense that the ungodly are, yet we often speak and we act as though we're without life. 
Paul is speaking here of a comparative death. There are many believers who for all practical purposes are outwardly dead as to their usefulness to God. This is a state of mind in which a believer often falls into, myself included. Some are asleep and don't know it. A part of sleep is an unconscious state. What a dangerous place for a believer to be in. How so? Because a man or a woman can believe that they're doing a great deal while they're asleep. <laughs> Sometimes dreams are so real, aren't they? Have you ever woke yourself up from a dream because it wasn't going well? <laughs> uh, and then I'm sure there's times where you didn't want to wake up. But uh, people talk in their sleep and many walk in their sleep. And I've even preached in my sleep. Uh, there are many today who pray in their sleep, not in their natural sleep, but in their spiritual sleep. When praying, we often repeat the same prayers and the same phrases. It seems that our hearts are asleep to the true spirit of praise and worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, we often unconsciously memorize uh, a prayer that doesn't come from our hearts. Uh, we're and, and it's because we're asleep to the true spirit of praise and thanksgiving we should have. It's not, uh, is that not talking and praying in our spiritual sleep? Some men and women only dream of a perfect righteousness. But in their sleep, they can't lay hold of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to wake up. And this is the sad thing. Many who sleep get themselves in a nice, comfortable position in a gospel preaching church. Oh, there's nothing like being a part of a church like this that preaches the truth. And, and, and we see God who He is, is who He is and what He's doing for us. And they find that gospel bed, oh, it's long enough to stretch out on and they discover that this gospel bed, it's comfortable and it's soft and it's warm. And we climb into it and we do what? We go to sleep. We need to wake up. We need to arise from this sleep. An unbeliever is in the sleep of death, but a believer can fall into the state of a spiritual sleep. Sleep can look a lot like death. Have you ever seen someone asleep that looked like they were dead? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. You go up to them and kind of put your hand under their nose to see if you can feel their breath. And then they move and it scares you. A lot of folks, they have sleep apnea. They stop breathing when they sleep. It can be really hard to tell if a person's asleep or dead when they do that. And that's why when we're asleep, our dreams don't make any sense at all. Uh, we don't perceive things as they really are when we're asleep, do we? What causes this spiritual sleepiness that keeps us from seeing and perceiving things as they really are? Basically two things. Sin and flesh. You know, at Gethsemane's gate, while the master was sweating, great as it were, great drops of blood, 
in agonizing prayer to his father, what were the disciples doing? Were they praying with him? Were they watching for his enemies? Were they guarding him against any surprise attack? We find bold Peter, who said he would never forsake his master with his eyes closed, asleep. We find the beloved John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, with his head upon his own bosom instead of the Lord's, fast asleep. Our Lord told these sleeping, unconscious disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's the same with us. That's why Paul tells us for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And that's the only hope that you and I have. Because we can't keep the law of God because of our flesh, because of our sin. We cannot not sin. We can't keep God's law, much less as God requires, which is to perfectly keep it. God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to keep the law for us, to work out a perfect righteousness for us that we may trust in Him and have life eternal. May we never lose sight that it's Christ's finished work of righteousness that saved us. And out of gratitude and out of thanksgiving and love for our Savior, we ought to be about our Father's business as the Lord Himself was. And our Lord is in heaven interceding for us. And uh, many of us are here down here, sleeping. Our Lord is in glory showing His wounds with the travail of His soul and we're wasting precious time while souls around us are being lost. Like men and women in the midst of a plentiful harvest, the laborers are few, our Lord said. Why? Because a lot of them are asleep. And you can be assured that our adversary, the devil, is not asleep. He's the busiest bishop in the kingdom. He's constantly going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it, seeking whom he may devour. No wasting of time with him. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy your spouse. He is out to murder your children. He's constantly sifting your family and friends as wheat. And while we sleep, time is roaring on and souls are being lost. And it ought not be. Ought not be. Awake. Awake. Lord, awaken us. And instead of passing to the other side of the river into the land of promise, many are drowning and dying in the Jordan's flooded waters. Awake. That's God's call to His elect. This is the call of the Lord Jesus to His bride. We know from the promise given that so, because it says, and Christ shall give thee light. Aren't you thankful?
When we sleep, we're in darkness. Isaiah prophesied the people that walked past tents in darkness have seen past tents, a great light. They that dwell, present tense, right now, dwell in the land of the shadow of death. It's only the shadow of death. Not death unto those that believe and trust. Upon them hath, past tense, the light shined. We've seen the light. Christ is that light. He's the Son of Righteousness. He alone is life, and He alone gives light. Wherefore He saith, Awakest thou that sleepest. And His command is always effectual because with the command comes the power to obey. Awake. And His people awake. The Spirit of God is warning us not to fall into the habits of the children of darkness. He's encouraging us to walk as children of light. We're prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave the God that we love. And the sooner we realize that, the more on guard we, we will be. We're often sleeping, but there's within us a spirit persuading us to awaken. No doubt the believer is kept by the power of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He will not leave us to ourselves. That's His promise to us. He'll never forsake those that He loves. And in loving kindness, He's drawn us into everlasting life. In the Song of Solomon, it's written, listen to these where I won't turn you there, but listen to this. It says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It's the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of night. Our Lord will see to it that we're awake. So the question is, are you asleep? Does God's grace stir your heart within you? Do you enjoy and rejoice in hearing the gospel of Christ? Do you love being with God's people? These are telltale signs. Has the joy of life in Christ left you? The warning to you and me is simple. Awakest thou that sleepeth. Just because, now listen to me on this, just because God is sovereign does not mean that we're not responsible to God. That's, that's put many a Calvinist to sleep. But we're not Calvinists. We're Christians. We're believers. We trust in Christ. We're followers of Christ. And we cannot follow Christ if we're asleep. Fate has not destined the course of our life. Fate. God has chosen, elected, and called and saved. And man's destiny is not a spun thread of chance that's measured and cut by blind fate. Man's destiny has been predestined. It's been predetermined. He foreknew us. He predetermined. He Determined beforehand. He predestinated to save us before we were born 
or had done any good or evil. Why? So that the purpose of God according to election, His choosing might stand. Not of works, but of Him that calleth. Blind faith will put men to sleep. Many say, well, if I'm one of God's elect, no matter what I do or say or think, I'll be saved. That's blind faith. The choosing and saving of God will cause certain men and women to rest without sleeping. <laughs> I'm resting. Aren't you? I'm not sleeping by God's grace. I'm resting. Prosperity puts many to sleep. Fullness of bread can make one sleepy. You know how you eat a big meal and first thing you want to do, I'm going to take a nap. I've seen it time and time again. People say, but God's blessed me and prospered me and it's His will that I am full. Well, be careful what you blame on God. Be careful what you blame on His providence. It's need. Oh, it's need that causes sinners to lean and trust on Christ. Not a lack of interest, it's a lack of need. Any independence that we think that we have apart from the Lord Jesus Christ is a sure sign that we're asleep and we need to be awakened. What about spiritual pride? Spiritual pride will put people to sleep. To become proud of doctrine and condition and knowledge and accomplishments and usefulness, it'll put you to sleep. Spiritually. I had a man call me back in November of last year and asked me if I'd come to preach at his church in western Kentucky. They'd been without a pastor for over four years now. And back then in November, I told him to give me a call after the first of the year. And he called me just this past week. He also called me about four years ago asking me if I knew anyone that could come and preach for them. And I spoke to Gabe Stoniker and and uh, Gabe has some capable young men. And Gabe asked Luke Coffey and Obi Williams to go down and preach for him. And uh, I asked that man about Luke and Obi. I said, uh, a friend of mine sent a couple young men down to uh, preach to you a year or two back. Uh, how did that go? And he said, well, not it didn't go well. He said... Uh, they uh, they believed in easy believism. I said, easy believism. I said, no, they do not. I told him that I preached the same gospel they did, and this group still hadn't found a pastor, and I know why. It's called spiritual pride. The first thing he asked me this week when he called, he said, you know, I talked to you back in November, and. Uh, you know, about coming down and preaching for us. And I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, uh, he said, well, I want, want to know if you use the King James Bible. And I said, yeah, I use the King James Bible. I said, why, why do you ask? And he said, well, we don't allow anyone to preach in our church if they don't exclusively use the King James Bible, the King James Version. And I again asked him why. Well, why is that? He said that it was the only inspired, the only infallible version of the Bible. I told him, no, it's not. 
I said, matter of fact, no translation of the Bible is infallible. The King James Version, like all translations, has its issues, even though I believe it is the most accurate. And he said, well, how can you believe the Bible if it's not divinely inspired? And I said, the Scriptures are divinely inspired. Those who wrote the Scriptures were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but not those that translated it. <clears throat> then he asked me, if I preached election and predestination, I said, have you ever heard me preach? He said, oh yeah, I've listened to you on sermon audio. And, and uh, he said, but I need to know, do you preach election and predestination in every message? I told him that preaching election and predestination was not preaching the gospel. Preaching Christ is preaching the gospel. You can preach predestination and election until you're blue in the face, but those doctrines alone never saved anyone. He said, when, when can you come? I said, thank you for asking me, but I'm not interested in coming. And this man and his church are asleep in spiritual pride. And listen, you can't learn anything if you know everything. And it became very apparent to me that they're not interested in the Gospel. They're more interested in arguing and debating the Scriptures. And I'm not. Not going to do it. The Lord Jesus lovingly calls us to awake us. And here's the Gospel. Christ shall give thee light. This is God's promise to all who heed His call to awake and rise from the dead. In Jeremiah chapter 32, you ought to read it sometime. God promises us that He will not turn away from us to do us good. Isn't that good news? I won't turn away from you to do you good. I'm going to do you good. <laughs> he will put His fear in our hearts and we shall not depart from Him. He will rejoice over us to do us good. Not only will He do us good, He's going to rejoice as He does it. Isn't that amazing? And He'll plant us in the land assuredly with His whole heart and with His whole soul, the, the passage says. He will, He will bring upon us all the good that He's promised us. Now look at verse 15 here in Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means diligently. It means to walk without risk. To walk cautiously. To walk perfectly or maturely. Carefully, with, with accuracy. Watch where you're stepping. Don't walk as a fool would walk. Walk as someone wise would walk. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, time, as we've already discussed, is a precious thing. Paul does not say redeeming time. That, that's good advice in itself. But Paul here says redeeming the time. That, that the use of that little definite article, the, calls attention to the time that God has given us. And it's God that gives us. 
He's appointed the day that we're born. We're not born a minute early or a minute late. We're born right on time, according to His time and His purpose. And we, we don't hang on and live longer than we're supposed to. God has determined the day of our death, the minute, the second. And we will live no longer than that. Redeeming the time here means buying up the opportunity. We shouldn't wait for opportunity to fall in our laps. I'm just sitting waiting on the Lord to move. No, 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 no. No, we must buy the opportunity. <clears throat> now in buying something, a price has got to be paid. And when you buy something, you part with one thing to obtain another. When you, when you go to the grocery store, you part with your money to receive the groceries. The Spirit of God here is telling us to never refuse to part with any temporal comp convenience to obtain something useful in eternity. Be willing to spend all. Everything that we have, it's just temporary. It's all going to burn. It's all going to rust, corrupt. It's going to be stolen. Time is a precious commodity. We must redeem this time. We, we must be willing to pay a price for it. This goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. When we're young, we think we have a super abundance of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. We don't think much about death or dying. But then soon they're used up. And the older we get, the more we begin to think about those things. My dad was 78 when he passed. That's if I lived to be as long as he did. I've got 10 years left. My mother was 75. Seven years left if I live as long as they did. And the thing about it, young people, is that you, you never were, you're not promised tomorrow. I have many friends that didn't live long in this world. Many didn't make it to their 16th birthday. Some died sooner than that. Some died shortly after that. And when we were lost, dear believer, we lost much time to Satan. We lost much time to the world and to our own vanity. Oh, I wish I had the time back that I wasted. So let us strive to employ every means to redeem the time that we lost. We must not let the opportunity slip away because these days are evil. <clears throat> Paul said, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. We may not always have the opportunity to do so. Certain opportunities are not often long given. The opportunity to redeem our time is no different. We must redeem what time we can for one reason, because this is why. These days are evil. We live in evil times. Nothing new under the sun, I know. And our days in this world are few as it is, especially compared to eternity. But the Spirit of God here is teaching us that in these evil days in which we live, we are to buy up every opportunity to serve and honor our God and our Savior. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, after all, our, our Lord came to earth, became a man, and He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Don't we owe Him everything? 
Of course we do. We're to purchase every opportunity to serve the interest of Christ's gospel, His church, and His kingdom. We're to redeem every occasion to serve His people and do them good. Time is one of the most precious things in all the world. And I'd give anything, and I know you would too, those of you have lost loved ones, would give anything to have more time with those that are gone. Good news for sinners is found in the promise that God gives us in Christ. Christ shall give thee light. Not baby. Not might, but shall. It's the only way sinners are saved. It's the only way believers are awakened. It's the only way any of us have eternal life. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to live forever? This is the only way. In the Lord Jesus Christ. This Light is not merely the light of direction. It's not simply the light of guidance. It's not only the light of knowledge. This light is Christ Himself. Jesus Christ is the light and the life. Light, Christ is given to them that are in misery. And light, Christ, unto the bitter in soul. Job 3.20 For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Psalm 36, 9. John 1, 4. In him, Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The Lord Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8, 12. Paul speaking to Timothy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ said, He hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and mortality to light through the gospel. The Lord to give us light to instruct us in the Scriptures. The Lord to give us light to guide us in His way. The Lord will give us light to know His will and His purpose. The Lord to give us light that we may rejoice in our hearts. And But we cannot see the precious light if we're asleep. So let us awake. For the time is short and sinners are perishing. May God awaken us to the certainty of eternity. May God awaken us to to see uh, and think on the souls of men. May God awaken us to think of the coming judgment in which we'll all stand. May we be awakened by God to consider the terrors of hell and the glory of heaven. Think of the glory of Christ in a way. Think of His robes of righteousness that are yours by God's giving. Think of the forgiveness of your sin and the sin of others. You know, uh, there's not anything that I desire more in this life that the Lord might save my children, that He might save my grandchildren. I've talked to many of you who have lost children. I know you feel the same way. I want you to think about forever being face to face with the one who loved you and gave himself for you. 
the son of righteousness, he's called. He's risen with healing in his wings. So let us awake and arise and be healed. Awake. God, enable us to awake. May he be pleased to make it so. For his glory, our good, and for Christ's sake.